0: Welcome back. You're listening to Patriarch, the retelling of the biblical story of Abraham by me, Colin Piper. And you've come back to a quite glorious episode in Abraham's story as he meets with God in the most intimate, beautiful and profound way you want to explore there some of these themes of this story a bit more do visit the website where you'll find some bible reading notes which again are absolutely free and you can download them and reflect further uh, upon this passage bible novels.com anyway let's dive in patriarch chapter three part six The celebrations went on long into the night. For most, there had never been an occasion like this. These were not hardened soldiers, rather they were herdsmen. Reluctant soldiers who were trained to fight, but trusted they never would do so. They'd taken up arms because of the rightness of a cause and had overcome a giant army. They'd rescued their respective families, be that Lot or the Amorite clans taken from the shores of the Dead Sea. Only now had they had the time and space to reflect upon their achievements. And all at once they understood them. They had fought and won and for right. Never before had most felt such self-esteem as now. And the fact they did so in unison made for a concerted celebration, the like of which was unprecedented, at least in Abram's camp. Three men were missing from the celebrations. One sat in the midst of it, but uncharacteristically not a part of it. One stood on the fringes of what he would normally have dominated. And one lay alone in his tent. Eber sat reflecting upon the man he'd watched intently through the day, and through his actions sought to understand him. Lot stood contemplating the king above all kings he'd met that day, and through his words sought to know his gods. Abram lay there, knowing both himself and ever more so each day his God. Both Eber and Lot had come to understand more of true humanity and deity, but sadly their knowledge by itself wouldn't be enough to break the strongholds which bound them. Both that evening experienced the glory, but the next morning lacked the guts to follow through on their discoveries. They would instead return with the others in the king of Sodom's caravan, back to the city, disillusioned with all that it stood for, but unable to break free. The place seemed to have a supernatural hold on them, which with all the will in the world, they were powerless to resist. On the other hand, Abram was at peace with himself, his world and his gods. He was though not in the mood for celebration. He wasn't averse to it and would never want to deprive his friends of their time to make merry. They deserved it. He was though tired of the praise and adoration. One man who'd understood the truth had come, reminded him of it, and together they had celebrated. Now he was alone again. And oddly, he felt more vulnerable now in success than he did in failure. Yet just as God had previously spoken into his failure, he was somehow sure he he now wanted to speak into his success. He didn't want to hear the words of the excitable crowd, nor even his own heart's take on things. He wanted the truth. And knew there was only one place to receive that. What was more? Something in his spirit told him that this was a moment God would speak. And so he lay in his tent, ready to listen. The problem for Abram was that these moments were God's call. He chose when to speak, what to say and how. All Abram could do was wait. Sometimes, as he discovered in Haran... He could be waiting for years. On other occasions, as he experienced at Bethel, God just invaded all that was going on in life and spoke abruptly into it. On this occasion, Abram knew God wanted to speak, but still he had to wait through the night as tiredness crept over the camp and gradually muted the celebrations. Finally, As the early morning chill took hold, God not only broke the silence with words, but also the darkness with a unique revelation. The corner of his tent suddenly lit up. And there, in the empty space where just the day before were piled high the treasures Abram had so carelessly given away, now they a glorious glowing shield. It was evidently physically real enough if if Abram had been frozen to the spot, he could have gone over and picked it up. However, it was different; its nature and form defied description. It challenged any who saw it to deny its creator. And yet even for someone who'd actually seen God himself, its presence spoke of a holiness, which on one level offered comfort and assurance, but on another evoked a fear, even a dread. It was good, but that was the problem. True goodness is a fearsome thing. Do not be afraid. And the word of God, as always, seemed to penetrate his body and soul and supernaturally restore a peace and confidence even in the presence of the holy and good. Abram, the God most high, creator of heaven and earth, had for the first time called him by name. For years he'd spoken words of intimacy, but never had one word spoken so much into his soul. He was truly his God, the God of Abram. It was personal and continued to be so. I am. Oh, the phrase pierced Abram's heart like the mighty sword he'd made his own over the past few days. It spoke not only of an intimacy, but also a sacredness, which Abram couldn't particularly understand, but unmistakably felt. Your shield. <laughs> The irony wasn't lost on the reluctant war hero. Never before had God spoken in these terms. And until the last few days, Abram had never taken up a shield. But now he understood these things a little more. He knew what it was to hide behind a shield. He knew what security that thin piece of metal had brought him. But now as he studied the vision set before him, he knew a security not just for battle, but for life. It was absolute, indefatigable. Your very great reward. (laughs) Abram had spent a lifetime indifferent about riches. And yet still the wealth kept accumulating. Now, the day after he had, without a thought, given away a booty of countless shields he was being offered this prize this shield of shields but surprisingly even shockingly abram found even this promise somehow wasn't enough he tried to fend off the questions and dare he said a moment such as this his doubts but still they kept coming and, and the vision of the shield couldn't stop them there was a reason Abram held his riches lightly. He would have traded it all, everything, for the one thing he desired more than anything else. Sure, he sought no reward except his God alone. But to serve his Lord, he couldn't escape the fact that he needed one thing and one thing only. His heart ate for it. And before he knew it, he found himself asking the question, I?" He said it many times in worship but never before in response to God's voice and yet such was the intimacy of the moment and the reality of his pain that initially Abram failed to register the presumption or the significance of his response. What can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. It was only now that Abram's head caught up with his heart and he he realised he was questioning the God most high creator of heaven and earth. Of course he'd done so many times over the years but never before as now in response to God's voice. (laughs) Briefly he paused, wondering what the counter-response might be and then quietly yet assuredly He continued and completed his complaints. You have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir? There he'd said it. He'd posed the question to God. Now he waited. In his spirit, all he'd experienced of his God over these last few years, and particularly the last few hours, through the visit of Melchizedek, and now this vision suggested God was the sort of God who allowed questions. But was he also the sort of God who answered? And if so, how? He waited, he longed, he feared. He believed and he heard. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your body will be your heir. Again, the words seemed to penetrate Abram physically through joints and marrow in search of heart and soul. It it was an experience Abram had gotten used to over the years, but rarely with this intensity they seemed to lay bare the truth of Abram's thoughts and feelings and having crudely exposed them to speak their truth into them. Just that short time before, as Lot had abandoned him, Abram had appointed Eliezer as his son, and at that moment his faithful herdsman had inherited a fortune. Now, just as matter-of-factly and equally unbeknown to Eliezer, the poor man had been disinherited again. Oh, faith soared in Abram's spirit and crushed his doubts and God responded. He took Abram by the hand and led him past the shield out of the tent to show him another wonder. And this one Abram knew well and loved. Look up at the heavens. The canopy above him was more home than the tent roof, which he often begrudged and abandoned because it denied him the comforting last sight of God's handiwork before he slept. Abram would often lie down under the stars to gain a full perspective of the sky's grandeur. For now though he stood craning his neck and count the stars how many times has he tried to do just that in those wonderful moments between consciousness and sleep he couldn't even count these efforts let alone the stars themselves if indeed you can count them There was a knowing tone to God's words of the sort used only between those bonded by the knowledge of each other's little ways. God knew all things. Even those fruitless, futile challenges, he set himself in those moments of happy idleness. He knew Abram's delight in them. And he said... So shall your offspring be. Abram spun around, head up to seek again to grasp the enormity of what was being said. His arms stretched out to provide balance and a reference point by which to judge the scale of what he saw. Round and round he went, and each time round his faith rose a little higher. Round and round, believing and believing more and more until he fell to the ground, disorientated, laughing, and feeling right with the world, with heaven, and most of all the Creator. God spoke no more, but he lingered in an intimate silence. And in the silence, Abram knew his God's approval and love like never before. It was an approval based not on his wealth, status or success. But Abram knew it could only be in response to his faith. Physically, he just failed to count stars, spun around and fallen over. But spiritually, Abram had come on a journey that night. And both God and he knew it. If anyone else had seen the old man spinning round happily as a child, they would have assumed the night celebrations had gotten a bit too much for him. But God knew the heart, recognised the faith and credited it to him as righteousness. Abram knew his God, believed him, and loved him. And so they lingered. It was an intense intimacy not bound by time and space. As dawn broke, the intimacy didn't, and when Abram returned to his tent, his God went with him. In fact, it appeared to Abram the intensity of the intimacy only seemed to increase with the heat of the day. The mundane couldn't distract from it, rather it spiritualized the mundane. Abram knew his God's favour and love like never before, and it thrilled him. That he should appreciate God was understandable, but that God should appreciate him? That he should desire God's presence, he took for granted. But that God should want to linger with him? This was the God most high. Not a love-struck youth who begrudges even a second away from his beloved. And yet... Through the day they worked together, walked together, talked together. Occasionally Abram would remind himself of what was happening and then the incongruity of it all would briefly hit him. As he washed he and the Most High discussed God's eternal plans. But no, it was right. This morning all was right with the world, with God and with him. He could enjoy his God as much here as on the starlit crag. Whenever he chose and not just in those sacred moments. And enjoy him he did, like a father and friend. God had spoken and faith had risen in his heart. He was now full of faith that God would be faithful to his promise. He knew it, and God knew it, and that knowledge bound them like never before. Just like lovers, they talked, dreamed and questioned, as they enjoyed the everyday things of life. And yet intimacy didn't deny or devalue the sacred. And so Abram sat drinking a hot tea, and looked out from the high vantage point he always chose for his tent, and God said, "I am the Lord." Abram." No longer felt the shock of the sacredness of the words. Instead, the holiness of them delighted him. There was, however, a solemnity in this simplest of phrases, and with it a declaration, a revelation, and a commitment. The tone well known to Abram the trader was one only used in the most binding and significant covenants. "'I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans,' to give you this land to take possession of it. Abram looked again, and he thought again of their journey so far. Yes, God was indeed faithful to his promise, and Abram had proved that each step of the way, not only in his faith, but perhaps even more in his doubts. On the way, Abram had learnt much about faith and doubt, and perhaps last night summed up all he discovered – God responded to both confessions of faith and doubt. As he looked out across the varying scene before him, Abram knew God saw all that was in his life. He knew his changeability. He celebrated the heights and patiently, lovingly tolerated the lows. Abram could hide nothing nor needed to, so without vulnerability of fear or losing the moments, Abram spoke his question, Adonai... How can I know that I shall gain possession of it? Even though Abram knew God would answer, he was still surprised, even shocked by the answer. Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. When Abram was a trader, Contracts are rather informal affairs, though no less binding for that. When formalities were called for, it meant the agreements were of unusual significance, and this was evidently going to be the most formal of formal covenants. One never to be forgotten. A land grant to the Hebrew who set to the task given him. The camp was still quiet the morning after the night before, Abram's audience was limited to the very old and very young, who the night before had, albeit involuntarily, yielded early on in the referees to the demands of sleep and now had awoken at their usual time. The old kept the young a respectful distance and silence, but shared their curiosity as Abram first scoured the camp for three carefully selected animals and two birds, all of whom were female. And having gathered them and with no man's servant to help, he slaughtered them with his own hand. The sound of the dying heifer roused more of the camp, bewildered at first by what they heard and then by what they saw, as Abram, drenched in blood, single-handedly bisected the carcasses of the heifer, goat and ram. He manhandled the lumps of flesh into position, symmetrically laid out with a dove and pigeon positioned on either side, and then exhausted, he collapsed to the ground in the midst of the carnage. By now a crowd had surreptitiously gathered all were busy in their way, conveniently nearby, some out of mere curiosity, others out of genuine concern. The latter knew and loved their patriarch. They, they would never claim to understand him or some of his ways, but they would go anywhere and do anything for him, as they'd only just demonstrated. Now they were there, ready if needed, only clueless as to what that need or what their response should be. As the sun grew fiercer, The blood congealed and flies gathered. They swarmed, irritating yet largely irrelevant to the bloody patriarch who sat motionless in their midst. Quietly, some of the mothers ushered their children away from the disturbing scene and men began to look awkwardly to each other for answers about what was happening and what, if anything, they should do about it. They'd watched their lord build altars and worship. They'd even joined him in the frenzy without understanding fully what was going on. It had felt right to them then, but now? This was inexplicable, even frightening. Was it possibly, although no one dared say it, madness? No sooner had the question entered their minds than it seemed to be answered. Where the flies failed to rouse their lord, the birds of prey succeeded. The camp-following scavengers, largely tolerated for their waste disposal functions, were occasionally chased away when their attentions turned from waste to foodstuffs. The chasing normally involved a bit of noise, such as clapping and shouting, and some feigned, hasty movements in the direction of the large, slender birds. Abram's response, though, on this occasion was frenzied. Taking a stick, he swung violently at them and screamed, the force of both movement and volume, throwing spittle from his mouth across his face and beard. On and on he went with an intensity which stunned the camp, none of whom moved to help as in other circumstances they would. The kites were equally shocked, but less easily put off. It was only after some time, and with considerable reluctance, they, they left the feast to return to their scraps. And even then, from time to time, one or two would test the crazed man's continued commitment, only to be repulsed again and again. However spiritual the moment had been, the physical exhaustion began to catch up on Abram. The battle against kings and kites and nights and days of high drama with his God finally took their toll on the old man. And as the sun set, safe in the knowledge that his precious offering was safe from the roosting birds, Abram slept. Everything about his sleep was deep and dreadful. It was physical as his tiredness transported his consciousness far from the world in which he lay. It was emotional as a hideous darkness consumed his soul. And yet it was more. It was spiritual. The battle between good and evil which Abram had witnessed at Shechem and Bethel and which had seemed to cut through into his very being like a, a biting wind, he now sensed rising up and raging within his spirit. But God was there in the darkness as he'd been in the light and God was ready to speak through the darkness as he'd spoken in the light. No, for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a great old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Abram woke bewildered, only to find the spiritual and emotional darkness he'd known in sleep was now matched by a physical darkness. The sun had set, the camp retired to bed, and all was still and so very, very dark. He shivered in the chill of the night air and the chill of his Lord's words, both of which he was unprepared for. This was the first time God had spoken about things which didn't directly concern him. And the reason for this bemused him as much as the words themselves. Why would God speak to him words for others? It made no sense. In particular, his condemnation of Mamre and his friends, all Amorites, but all friends, disturbed him. But as he sat in the cold, a warmth grew in his heart as comprehension dawned. God would be faithful to his promise to the fourth generation and beyond. This land was not just for him, but for descendants forever. The fourth generation after him would sit on this very spot. He knew it and believed it. His heart leapt and blood rushed through his body. Energy returned and his spirit soared. Heaven responded. What could only be described as a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared In the same physical and spiritual way the shield had the night before. And it lit up the carcasses as it passed between them. And so God made a covenant holy and unforgettable. He accepted Abram's offering of flesh and faith and responded by committing himself to Abram even to the point of death. Abram well understood the significance of this most sacred of covenants as his God identified with the slaughter through which he walked and accepted that slaughter as his own, should he ever breach this covenant, a covenant of both inheritors and inheritance. To your descendants I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, The land of the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. As the pot passed across the bloodied patch, so Abram in his mind's eye passed through the land once more. He recalled standing on the banks of the Euphrates that day as he set out for Haran. He recalled all too well standing with Said at uh, Wadi Sikah on the border of Egypt itself, wondering at what might lie beyond. He recalled the peoples he'd met on the long journey in between, and he stood receiving the promise of God that all this land and these peoples unambiguously named in the detail of the agreement, would be given to him or his descendants. Abram was so caught up in his thoughts and the vision that he failed to see what was briefly and dimly revealed in the shadows by the far reaches of the pot's glow. The woman who'd watched and waited all day only recently to succumb to sleep, failed to see the light which had passed across her face and caused her to wake only seconds later, but seconds too late. She was disorientated and took those precious few seconds to work out where she was and why, and by the time her questions were answered, all she saw was the husband she loved, seemingly finally at peace. She was relieved. She hadn't understood what was happening to the man she loved and felt as though she'd been shut out. Of course, she well understood why she was overlooked and couldn't argue with God's decision not to trust her. She had, after all, failed in the one part she could play in God's plan in Abram's life and it was the crucial role. There and then, she decided she had failed long enough. She loved her husband and her God. It was time to act. Emerging from the shadows, she went to Abram, helped him up, took him away, changed him, bathed him, put him to bed and decided what she would do for him. You're listening to The Patriarch Podcast. For more information, you can go to BibleNovels.com where you can become a Patreon supporter to support Overseas Mission.